A few years ago, I watched the BBC documentary about the challenges uh, facing the homeless people in Swansea. The program was called Back to the Streets. And in one of the episodes, which I remember vividly, we meet a man called Paul Bell. He's a rough sleeper. He's dirty, he's broke, and he's broken. Paul wants to escape from his problems. But he doesn't know how to do it. So as the BBC crew is filming, they eventually take pity on Paul. They help him get a nice bed seat. We cannot do with that. He has some nice food on his table. Uh, he got a television. And he's, for a minute, it looks like he's enjoying all of these things. But after two days, Paul is back sleeping rough on the street. So the BBC crew is puzzled by this. And they, they find Paul and they ask him a question. Why have you abandoned your flat? Why have you abandoned all those things? Why are you out here sleeping rough? You don't have to do this. And Paul turns to them and says, look, I feel very lonely. I can't stand being on my own. It's so lonely there. I'm used to sleeping rough on the street and I'm more comfortable here. You know, I found it very heartbreaking watching that episode, watching Paul Bell like that. Not only because it made me realize just how difficult it is for us to change in life. You know, we can be so determined. Oh, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do this. I want to do that. But it can be so hard. We often find ourselves wallowing back in those things that we're trying to change from. But the other reason is that it made me realize that all of us are just like Paul Bell. We are Paul Bell, actually. And that probably puzzles you, doesn't it? You slept, I'm guessing you slept in a very warm bed last night. You are not sleeping rough on the street. I don't see anybody who's sleeping rough on the street here. You are not addicted to substances. Uh, drugs are not, I'm sure, an issue for you as you are here this morning. You smell very nice, right? You know, you don't, and also you don't feel very lonely, I'm sure. You feel okay. In fact, you feel positive about your life. Your life, I'm sure, when you look at it, you're saying, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2020. The future has never been brighter, right? So in some sense, you're nothing like Paul. You know, and that is true. And it is also true that you and Paul have one thing in common. You two are yearning to be rescued. You long to be saved. You, everyone does. Yes, I know you're not going around asking, what must I do to be saved? But you are asking that question, aren't you? You're asking, what must I do to have a better life? I want more out of life. Paul Bell wants more out of life. And you two are asking, what must I do to have more out of life? In fact, you're asking, what must I do to be fulfilled in life? All of us ask these questions. We are asking this question. And some people are, are searching for answers to that question for a better life by looking deep inside our hearts. Our culture tells us, especially Eastern philosophy, look deep within. That's why you, you save yourself. You just pull yourself up. You just work very, very hard. You can make it. Others are searching for a better life, fulfillment, in having a good family. If only my family can be better, my life will be better. Others are searching for it in a career. Others is in a relationship with the opposite sex, and they're hoping to have someone in their lives that can truly fulfill them. Others is money. If I had just had a, a little bit more money, 
If I could just pay off my mortgage, my life would be better. If I can just perhaps live in the right neighborhood with a nice accommodation, life would just be amazing. Others, it's a hobby. You know, God perhaps has given them a talent, and they just hope, if I can make it in this talent, maybe be a superstar of some sort, get on Britain's Got Talent, something like that, be a YouTuber, my life would be great. For others, they find fulfillment in helping other people. They, they believe that the better life is just investing yourself in helping others. The list of saviors we look to are endless, right? But you know what? Deep down our hearts, all of us know that these things can never give us that lasting fulfillment we yearn for. They cannot save our souls, that immaterial part of you. And we know that because we know that there's something that certain these things can't save us from. They can't save us from the moment of death. Your house will be left behind. Your career will be left behind. Naked you came, naked you go. And you have to face a holy and righteous God and give an account before him. So you need a savior who reaches beyond the grave. You need a savior who goes beyond the casket. You need to place your life in someone who can reach beyond death. Somebody who can give you fulfillment now. And the story of the Bible is about this Savior. It is a story of God stooping down for us to be our Savior through Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the Bible is about. God has come to give you lasting fulfillment. And we find this sensational good news in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. Let's read that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not your own work. It is a gift of God. Paul is talking to Christians. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, those who follow Jesus, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We can spend hours and hours on this passage, but there are just two sensational truths I find in this passage, which I just want to share with you. And hopefully if you've got an outline at the back, you find there's two points are there. The first wonderful truth we read in this passage is that we are saved by the grace of God through Jesus. How are we saved? We are saved by the grace of God through Jesus. That's the first truth. Everyone knows in this world we need God in our lives. How do I know? Because that is why we have so many religions in the world. Religion is man trying to get God to be with us. That's what religion is. It's man trying to impress God. Man trying to get God to be with us. And in fact, when we look at all the religions and philosophies in the world, they all tell us the same story. You must climb up to God and hope he accepts you. The problem with that is that it does not work. It doesn't work because all of us have rebelled against our holy God. Religion doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's sin keeps us from God. So how can we climb up to him? Ephesians, um, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation 
between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear, hear. He does not hear you. Religion doesn't work because it is because it's not just that we do evil things against God. Even the good we do is evil to God because it is perfumed by our sinful nature. We are fundamentally corrupt to the core. All the wonderful things you do, loving your kids, helping others, attending church, all of these things are perfumed with the vile stench of your sinful nature. Your spiritual DNA is evil. That's the problem. You see, God cannot enjoy what we do because you know what? You are at war with him. It is like a man giving a present to a woman, right? After he has just broken up with her, right? It, the woman will just find that as an insult, right? And that's the issue with us. God is holy. We are sinners. We can only relate to God if he makes the move to us first. If God decides to come down and offer you a new life with him. It has to come from God. You can't work your way up to God. And the good news of the Bible, the good news of this passage, is that God has come down to be with us. That's why I get so excited when I open the Bible, when I look at this passage, when I read the Word of God. It just gets me, I can't get over it. Because God has made that movement. He has come down to us. Read it again, verse 8 to 9. For by grace you have been served through faith. And this is not, listen, this is not your own doing. It's not up to you guys, he says. It is a gift of God. It is not a result of words, not a result of what you do. It's not a result of ticking boxes. No, it's none of that. Why? Because God doesn't want anyone to boast. Paul is saying we cannot be saved by what we do, what you do for God. You cannot be saved by what you do for God, but by what God does for you in Jesus. We are saved by grace, by the grace of God through Jesus. What is grace? In the Bible, grace means God's plan to rescue us from God's punishment for our rebellion against him, without us having to tick boxes. That's grace. Notice verse 3 says, we were at one point objects of God's wrath, like the rest of mankind. All human beings are like that. But Paul is saying, look, God has paid the whole bill to save you through Jesus. You contribute zero. How does God save us through Jesus? Well, because you and I have rebelled against God, as I said, we are under the penalty of everlasting death and are headed for eternal punishment in hell. The wrath of God is upon us. We cannot escape this situation. But Jesus, God the Son, has come to pay the debt. You are God for your sin by dying on the cross for you. There is nothing like the gospel. It's amazing. It's all on God. 
It should get us dancing every morning. It should, it should inflame our prayers of just, Lord, thank you so much for what you have done. Because it is all on his account. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. On the cross, God poured the Israel on Jesus for your sin. He suffered so that you don't have to. That's the gospel. The gospel in four words, isn't it? Jesus in my place. I had to come that way for right? Jesus dying for his enemies to bring them to God. You know, it is January 2014. We are in New York. 80-year-old Tyler Dohan is in New York and he's staying with his granddad in a large caravan in New York. The Americans call them trailer parks, I think. And we are in the early hours of the morning. While he's there, fire breaks out. Tyler is the first person to get up. I guess eight-year-olds are always up. He's the first one to get up. He raises the alarm and he wakes up six sleeping relatives. He gets all of them up and uh, they see there's a fire and they all run outside. As Tyler also makes his way outside, he realizes that someone is missing. Someone has been left inside the caravan. His best friend, his disabled granddad, Louis. So what does Tyler do? He, the eight-year-old runs back inside to help his granddad out. But as he's there, it is too late. Because you see, as he tries to lift, it's so small, right? As he tries to lift his granddad from, from the bed, he can't do it. And so he's trying hard to drag his granddad out. And while he's doing that, he's overcome by smoke and he collapses there. When the fire brigade arrives, they find Tyler's body lying next to the bed of his granddad. Tyler died bravely and selflessly. An eight-year-old, he selflessly gave up his life to save the six and he tried to serve his granddad. As I think about Tyler's sacrifice, it resembles the grace of God to us in Jesus, does it not? You were spiritually asleep in the flames of hell, and God has come to rescue you out. He woke you up from sleep, and he made you go outside. And it cost him his life. Like Tyler, Jesus has taken on himself the flames of hell by suffering the full wrath and punishment that you and I deserve. He suffered there on the cross. You see, on the cross there, it's not the physical death that's necessarily the, the issue. It is that as Jesus is dying on our cross, the wrath of God is being poured out on him. The wrath that you and I deserve for all eternity is poured out, concentrated for three hours in the person of Jesus. So that you and I can go free. But as you think about Tyler's death, and you think about Jesus' death, you're immediately realizing, I hope, that Tyler's death falls far short of what Jesus has done for you. It does. Because you see, Jesus 
has not come to die for family members who are worth dying for. Tyler died for a loving granddad who had already invested in him. That's not Jesus' death. Jesus died for you while you were his enemy. You need to get that. It's a different category. Jesus is God dying for you. Your creator humbled himself by dying on the cross because he loves you and he wants to be with you forever. Jesus is the only way for you and I to be saved and accepted by God. We can't make our way to him, but praise the Lord that God has made his way to us. But for you to benefit from this amazing grace of God in Jesus, you must receive God. You must receive Jesus by faith. That faith itself is a gift from God, but you must exercise the gift. You must say yes. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. But it doesn't end there. Through faith. What is faith? What does it mean for you to have faith in Jesus? What does it mean to be a true Christian? Well, faith is turning your back on the life of sin by placing your full and reserved trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is a cost to faith. And that is as you surrender your life to Jesus, you are turning back on the world. You embrace Christ. It's not the turning back in the world that saves you, it's putting your faith in Jesus. And as you trust Jesus, as you turn to Jesus, it changes your heart. The heart that then turns from the world. You see, a true Christian is someone who is trusting only in the death of Jesus for their forgiveness of sin. There will be no one in heaven who is not trusting only in the death of Jesus to get them into heaven. If you're trusting your good works, if you're trusting your church attendance, that's religion. If you're trusting your parents, that's religion. Well, I don't know what sort of religion that is. But it's religion. Only trusting the death of Jesus and only having come to Jesus, having said, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you, Make me born again. Make me new. That is a true Christian. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Is Jesus truly your Lord and Savior? If you have not done this, please do it now. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday. We saw on Friday... Some of you walk through London Bridge all the time, don't you? You pass through that London Bridge all the time. I've gone through that place many times. Those people that died in London Bridge did not know that day things was going to happen. That they were going to lose their life. It was just another day. Death could come to you anytime. You are not guaranteed more than one minute. You know that already and you hear it, but you are not. Settle the issues with God today, right now. Surrender to him. Do not delay. Only God knows how long you have to live. And guess what? God has given you this message this morning for you to understand and surrender to him. He's offering you this gift through Jesus. 
And you know what? When you surrender to God, something wonderful happens. When you become a Christian, something wonderful happens. Jesus enters your life and you enter his life. You start living in him. And that is the second and final truth we learn here. The first truth is that we are saved by the grace of God through Jesus. The second truth is this. We are saved by the grace of God in Jesus. We are saved by the grace of God in Jesus. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus, God transfers you from living under the power of Satan, under the God's judgment, and he transfers you now to live under the kingship of Jesus. You change your spiritual postcode. You are living in darkness, but now God transfers you into his heavenly postcode. You now live in the kingdom of light. And the phrase the Bible uses to describe our new situation is that all followers of Jesus are now in Christ Jesus, in Messiah Jesus, in the kingship of Jesus. Do you see that in verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created where? In Christ Jesus. Why? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, being in Christ Jesus involves two fundamental changes to your life. Two changes. You gotta write these down so you don't forget them. First change that happens when you become a Christian you are now a brand new person. A brand new person. Register that. I think I go, I've been attending so many churches. I don't think many people in our churches get that at all, beloved. You are a brand new person. The moment we surrender to God, he performs a spiritual heart transplant. God cracks open your chest. He removes the dead heart that has been corroded by sin, right? He then replaces it with his own heart. Instead of telling us to change, God makes us beautiful, brand new creatures by his Holy Spirit. That's what happens. You are a brand new person. Look at this step. For we are his workmanship. You need to pause on that. The phrase his workmanship, God's workmanship, means we are now God's new work of art. Of new masterpiece. That's what the word means. I believe the word is poema. And it actually could even be translated that we are God's new poem. We are God's new masterpiece. When you come to Jesus, when he saves you, you are now a new work of divine genius. God is like the best graffiti artist and painter of all time who has seen his original mural completely defaced. He painted it long ago, but it's become completely defaced. But instead of abandoning this mural, he wraps down the wall, mad by the nasty stains of sin, right? And then in his place, he paints something amazingly beautiful on top of it. He has painted the greatest masterpiece the world has ever seen. Better than a Banksy, right? And Paul is saying that masterpiece is you. 
in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you are that masterpiece. You are now priceless to God because you are in Christ. God looks at you and he says, wow, this is my new beautiful creation in Jesus. You are a new person. And what does that mean? Well, <laughs> what does that mean for you every day? Well, it's amazing, right? It means goodbye to all earthly condemnations. You know, people may call me all sorts of names, stupid, loser, lonely, unreliable, cheap, right? They may call you that, they may call me that. But that is not my identity now. That is not your identity, Jesus. Because you're a new person, you see. You are now who God says you are. You are God's masterpiece in Christ. You are forgiven. You are holy. You are loved and accepted in Christ. That's why we read Ephesians 1 at the start. The world is constantly telling you, unless you have this latest outfit or on this gadget, or your child performs like this, then you are nobody. That's the world. That's what the world tells us. The world says, look, unless you have this career with this level of money and live in this type of house, then you are a loser in life. The world is brutal, but that's what the world says. But if you are in Christ Jesus, God is saying to you, those things are not your identity. Yes, they may be nice to have, but your identity is bigger than that. You have been saved by the grace of God as his wonderful masterpiece. And you know what? Because you are God's masterpiece in Jesus, you are already extraordinary in Jesus. So you are free to be a nobody in the eyes of your colleagues at work. You don't have to work so hard to impress your colleagues. Because you're already extraordinary in the eyes of God. See, because you're God's masterpiece, Jesus has already succeeded for you on the cross. So you are free to fail in life. Your perfection does not depend on your performance. You are perfect and complete in Christ. That's the gospel. Because you're God's masterpiece in Jesus, you are already beautiful. So you do not need to constantly post on Instagram or the latest place to prove your beauty. Your beauty is in Christ. Your life is now hidden in Christ. And you know what? Because you are now God's masterpiece, you already own everything that God owns, that your father owns. So it is now okay, friends, to live poor. We might even say it's okay to live on the streets for Jesus. Because you have it all in him. You're not living for this world's priorities. Your identity is not anchored in earthly realities. You own everything in Christ. You are already rich. God in Christ became poor so that you can have that spiritual riches of his grace. Do you see? When you're a new person, it transforms everything. If you're a new person, your identity now is shaped only by Christ. Secondly, being in Christ Jesus means that 
not only are you a new person, but you also have a new life. A new life. With, and the, the mission of your life now is to display God's grace to the world around you. Look at this then. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, in 2013, Jeff Koons, the American, set a record for the most expensive painting by a living artist. His painting was called Balloon Dog, and he sold it for $58 million. The artwork is interesting. <laughs> no, it's not. It's literally a dog made of balloons. In fact, he has set another record for $91 million, which is, I'm told, is a rabbit, which I saw is a rabbit, right? <laughs> right? But he made this balloon dog, right? Just made of balloons. It's meaningless. You look at this thing, like, I can do that. What do you think of that? It is completely meaningless. The reason it costs a lot of money, you see, is because the planet has too many billionaires. That's why. Too many billionaires. And they just they don't know what to do with the money. I have some suggestions. We could uh, use it for the gospel. But too many with money, right? So, but when Paul tells us here that all true followers of Jesus are new masterpieces of grace, he is not saying we're pointless artwork like Jeff Koons' balloon dog. You know, there are some Christians that, that would accept readily that, God's, that we are God's masterpiece. But they think we are a pointless masterpiece. That somehow God has made you born again just to be like, to, to be pointless, to have no purpose, to have no mission, to have no excitement. You're just there to exist. No, no, no. You are not balloon dog. If you're truly converted, you are a masterpiece with a purpose. The new person comes new life. You're a new masterpiece created by God to be a human billboard of his grace. God wants to use your life to display the grace of God to the world. God has saved us to display his grace in our lives. And I find that so comforting. I hope if you're trusting in Jesus, you find that so comforting. Because it means that whatever situation you face when you're a Christian, whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, God is at work by his grace through those circumstances. No matter how challenging or how painful those circumstances are. You know, maybe as you sit here this, uh, this morning, you are a single parent doing a job of two people. Because you're a single parent, you must take on the responsibility of a husband and a wife at the same time. And you know, when you're in that situation, the natural reaction, when I've spoken to single parents, the natural reaction is panic. And sometimes there are moments of deep discouragement. Because of course, God has never designed things to be like that. So we can feel even bitter. But you know what? This passage is saying, because you are in Jesus, God's grace is flowing through you. Jesus has promised not only to provide for your difficult role, but to nourish you in that difficult role by his grace. His grace is enough for your difficult situation if you're in Christ. And by his grace, God is somehow, you may not see it, right? 
but God is somehow using your situation to build you up and to bless your children and to bless other people around you. And the time is coming when one day in eternity you will look back and you will be amazed at how the grace of God worked in your situation. That's God's design. Because you're in Christ, your circumstances is a billboard of His grace. Or maybe your situation is a bit different. Maybe you're currently going through some physical suffering. We all want to be healthy, don't we? We want to live without pain. But in this fallen world, our bodies are always wasting away. They always are. You will never have perfect health in this world because this world is fallen. But you know, since you are now, you know you are God's masterpiece. You know that like Paul said, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. No matter what my physical condition is, no matter what your physical condition is or your mental condition is, you are being strengthened by God's grace every day. And by his grace, somehow, God, you can trust him, is using what seems to you hopeless for his glory, to extend his rule. His grace is shining through your helplessness. You know, if you are in Jesus, I love this. All things, beloved, all things work together for goodness. Even your mistakes are all being somehow being used sovereignly by the Lord of grace as part of, as he writes his story of grace in this world. So as, you, as we enter Christmas, whatever your situation, keep your focus on this truth. If you, if you are in Jesus, you are saved by the grace through Jesus. And you are in Jesus. You are now a new person with a new life. You are his Masterpiece. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to be a child of God. To have the creator of the heavens die for my sins. To share his life with me forever. It is the greatest act of love that I have ever known. Because God is perfect. I am a rotten sinner. God is immortal. I am mortal. God is life. I am death. God is everything that I am not. And yet this God of all grace has made me one with him. He has made me and all who trust in Jesus, his masterpiece, by his own blood. That's the gospel. That is not just true for me. It is true for you if you trust in Jesus. And my prayer is that all of us here, would come out of this place this morning, as we head over for lunch, knowing and having surrendered fully to his grace. As it were, having cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And if we're trusting in Jesus already, having said, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Help me to display it more. Well, may God give all of us grace to believe, accept, and rest in this amazing truth. We are saved by the grace of God through Jesus and in Jesus. Amen.